Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 67 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is May 27th, 2009, and we have a really good show for you this week on the podcast. Uh, in the first segment, of course, we've got Coach Harvey High. We're going to talk about injuries and how they affect players at USC. We're also going to talk to Dan Weike about the team. We've got some questions for all, from all of you out there to answer, and we're also going to talk to Gerard Martinez. USCfootball.com recruiting analyst. Talk to him. A lot more questions. A lot of recruiting questions coming out there. So if you have any questions or comments for us, you can always drop us an email. Podcast at USCfootball.com is our email address. And as I said in our first segment, we have Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, what's going on, man? Brian, I'll tell you what. It was a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. But better yet, what started off my Memorial Day weekend was you on the prices run. I want to talk about that a little bit, too, because I want to talk about your performance there but before we get into all of these i know you have questions for me and we have some questions from people out there but i want to thank you i want to welcome everyone today and uh, how about southern california ticket service you know uh time is running out if you're looking for a laker ticket you better hurry yeah southern california tickets they uh they're a very kind sponsor in the uh first segment of the peristyle podcast sctickets.com is where you can check them out on the web or go to the go to your phones 1-800-888-7287 if you need those laker tickets or any other kind of tickets out there you can give sctickets.com a try well i'd say it's a great place to go i go there every time i need a ticket too and uh, of course um you know what can i say ryan what can i say let's bring everybody up to date on exactly what was on nbc uh CBS. last week cbs actually uh, but that's okay yeah cbs CBS, okay. Well, you know, I get those mixed up sometimes. It's okay, no problem. Three letters. You know, but I know I'm in high definition when I look at you, though. <laughs> and, and I'm going to tell you, you stole the show. You're sort of a fourth quarter guy, aren't you? I, yeah, I can, kind of came on late. Uh, what Coach is talking about actually was on the Price is Right. So two weeks ago, we we put the podcast up, I think it was three weeks ago, a little late because we had a I had a run on the prices right and they finally aired it last week last Thursday uh May 11th and if you haven't seen it uh, May 21st I'm sorry you can go to cbs.com and the prices right and they can show you the past episodes but yeah I uh, I was called up in the first group and uh they have six six things you can bid on I didn't get up on stage until the uh, fifth one so I was getting a little nervous there I'm like I don't want to get called up and never make it up on stage but it was it was so fun coach it was just a great experience it really was. And, you know, I, I sort of noticed that whatever you said, everybody followed suit. That girl that was next to you, if you said 1400 <laughs> she said 1401 Yeah, she bid a dollar more than me twice, which so you're kind of screwed unless you get it exactly. And I, I, was, I think I was close on most everything I bid on. And then uh, I actually told that girl, like, it looks like uh, people asked me if I flipped her off on the video. No, I just said that's twice because she kept saying we were both in the first group. She kept telling me, we have to get up there. We're in the first group. I'm like, yeah, well, why do you keep bidding a dollar more than me? So she promised she wouldn't do that again. And then the very next thing, uh, it was like a, a 
beverage fr- refrigerator that I want. I bid seven hundred. Everyone else bid over a thousand. It was like seven ninety nine. So I so I got that one and got up on stage. And uh, have you installed the spa yet? No, I did the the hot tub. People call. So yeah, I, I got to play the uh, climbing. What's it called? A cliffhanger game. And I just killed that. Like you get twenty five dollars worth of leeway, and I only used ten of it, and won this huge like eight person hot tub, which I have no room for. So they're they're custom building it. The guy calls and they're they're building it now. So I don't know. It's gonna stay in my garage for a while, and then I'll figure out what to do with it later. Uh, but it was cool. But the the best part, coach, was spinning the wheel because I've seen I've watched this game show since I was a little kid, and always wanted to spin that wheel. And I got to spin a dollar and then spin the 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 five cents for another ten thousand. So that was. That was the most fun. I mean, it's the most luck, but it was uh, it was really fun being up there doing that. Now, I only have one critical thing. Are you ready? Yes, yes. Why didn't you wear the USCfootball.com shirt? I know. Well, I, you know, to get up there, Coach, I wanted to wear something plain. I, if I was in college, I would have wore USC stuff, but I've seen a lot of people that, you know, they're alumni and wear stuff. I know. That was just my own theory or whatever, but they, they interview no. you first. Marketing, marketing. I know, but I don't. Uscfootball.com. But I don't think I painted it on your forehead. But I don't after think I would have called after up. You then. got it selected. Oh yeah, afterwards. Okay, <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, and then and then yeah, the, you should have run down to your girlfriend who was sitting there with you, got yes. her lipstick, and wrote on your forehead Uscfootball.com. That's yeah. I don't know what they would have done, but maybe that would have worked. Yeah, anything we could do, or the Peristyle <laughs> Podcast, PeristylePodcast.com for all our okay. loyal listeners. But anyway, coach, it was a lot of fun, and uh, if you want, you guys can check it out on CBS.com. But thanks. Um, yeah, it was a lot. It was so soon after that, coach. Um, you know, I I uh, was playing volleyball and hurt my ankle really bad. And you were talking about Memorial Day. I pretty much stayed in the entire weekend, which kind of sucks. I'm on crutches, and that's that's why the top the gave me the idea for the topic we want to talk about today is uh, injuries and uh, you know, what players go through when they're, they're rehabbing and all that kind of stuff. But before we get to that, would you mind answering a, uh, a user question? No, no, I'd be happy to. All right. So uh, I love these things whenever people send in the audio questions. So um, we have Jeff and Reno actually sent in like four of them. So I think we'll probably get to one or two of them today. And then uh, I'll do one with you and probably one with Dan, and then we'll try to do a couple more next week. But if you have any audio questions, we love those. So send them in. Uh, so, all right. Um, so, Coach and everyone else, here's uh, Jeff in Reno. Hey, this is Jeff, a SoCal transplant in Reno, trying to make my way back to the promised land. And I've got a question for the Peristyle podcast. We all know that Jerry West's silhouette is the logo for the NBA, but if you had to pick a freeze frame of one person or pose, moment, or like a silhouette to be the icon for USC football, who would it be and what would the pose be? And no, you cannot pick Mark Sanchez in his Jack Tripper shorts in GQ magazine. <laughs> what do you think, Coach? Hopefully you got to hear that okay. Um you know, the, His question was, who would I p- pick as the person who would most represent uh, USC football, right? Yeah. And, and like, as far as a, a label, right? Sure. I would say both of them were Heisman Trophy winners. I would say, first of all, Mike Garrett, because he was the first Heisman Trophy winner, played in the Super Bowl, uh, did all of that as far as as a college student, as, an, uh, as a graduate, as a now a current uh, athletic director and the programs that are under him. And then I would say right now another one that has always been focused and out there and well thought of, Marcus Allen. Oh. Uh, not, to, not to slight any of the others, but I, I seem to hear his name uh, 
uh, a great deal. Any particular moments like that, that you would the pose that you would use for them, like a, a specific play that they were that that sticks out in your mind? Well, only thing I know about Mike Garrett, here's a guy that won the Heisman Trophy that never played in a Rose Bowl game. That, they, that's something that's amazing, isn't it? That that you can win a Heisman Trophy and not be on a team that won the Pac-10 or go to the Rose Bowl. And then you've got um, uh, Marcus Allen's, well, what can you say? He was a fullback at one time, do you remember? And then <laughs> yeah. they moved in the tailback, huh? Yeah. And I think that was one of the smartest moves that John McKay did, and he became a Heisman Trophy winner. And then that one run that he made in the Super Bowl for the Raiders, it was a toss, I believe, right, and he cut back across the field and went in for a touchdown. But there's a lot of moments um, for both of those guys. Was Mike Garrett scored in the Super Bowl, too. Uh, but there's so many. There have been yeah. so many great athletes. I mean, how can you – Lynn Swan, I mean, how can you – I mean, you can go on and on and on. It's not like a school that hasn't had great athletes. Sure. And I'm just talking about, you know, just a few. So and you caught me cold with this, but I'd have to say that. <laughs> a lot of people might disagree or agree, you know, but that's – what it's all about now for me i'm a coach i didn't come to usc till 89 so i don't have uh, vivid memories of a lot of stuff that happened at usc before that i mean i know stuff that happened but i wasn't you know it wasn't part of me um and there wasn't i don't know i'm trying to think of like a ricky Irvins or someone from uh back there in the late 80s early 90s but i think you know for the, that beginning of the championship run for pete carroll i'd have to go from there either two things that stuck out to me either reggie bush uh leaping over the defender uh, against UCLA, there's a lot of pictures of him kind of being in the air. I mean, that's a pretty cool. That'd be a kind of cool logo, and and you know the the Leonard Bush push thing. Uh, you know, having him kind of falling backwards over the end zone against Notre Dame, uh, over the goal line into the end zone against Notre Dame. I think one of those two images. I mean, those two guys kind of set everything going and, and put USC on this run of you know unprecedented run of seven straight you know top four finishes and BCS bowl games and stuff so those I'd have to go something a little more recent but yeah I'm sure there's so many coach I don't know it's hard to pick one that's a great great question you know thank you uh, to Jeff and Reno for that one yeah Jeff that was a great one how about the play before the Reggie Bush push thing was that fourth down and whatever it was yeah like Jared outstretched hit. or something oh, or gosh or even liner like changing the play at the line it could be a cool one you know uh there's yeah just some amazing uh history recent history i mean there's so much so much amazing you know history from a long time ago and and so many great memories and i think that's what the some of the older time fans love that they can remember the great times from 60s and 70s and stuff like that and then it's kind of like you can compare it to something that's as good or, or even better uh, that's happened in, you know during the last decade. Oh, you can you can remember the Reggie Bush uh, run against Fresno State. Do you remember that one where he cut back across the field? Yeah, maybe like him score? near the sideline cutting back. Like wow. I'm trying to picture that moment. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, All right, well, I remember the picture. Yeah, well, uh, Jeff and Reno, thanks again for the question. Well, he'll have another question or two at least coming in this podcast. Uh, but I wanted to get to the injury stuff and just to give people a little background. Uh, soon after, I wasn't jumping up on. I was jumping up and down on the Price of Right when I won, but um, after afterwards I played an indoor volleyball league and uh, some guy I was blocking came under the net and uh, I've been lucky. I'm 38 years old, coach, and I haven't really had any sports injuries. And I play sports three or four days a week. Came down on this. He came under the net. I my when I landed, I landed my right foot completely on his foot and it twisted over and I went to the ground in a just a heap and felt almost like I was going to black out from the pain. And just, I don't remember, I've never had surgeries, nothing. So I've, I've been lucky, you know, knock on wood, until this 
this injury and it's been over two weeks and I still can't put any weight on it. And I just had an MRI yesterday and they put you in this machine and you got to like not move for 40 minutes. They're slicing it all up and all these noises are going off and everything. And it's kind of, you know, it's, 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 I don't know, you know, it wasn't broken apparently, but there's probably some tendons and stuff tore up in there. We'll find out when I get the results back. But uh, I mean, it's two weeks of not even be able to walk on this thing. And it just made me think about all the injuries that the players have to go through. And, you know, as members of the media, some guy hobbles off the field, you know, uh, or is carried off the field. And all we're asking, you know, Pete Carroll at the end of practice, who's probably somewhere else, not watching it, we're like, when is he coming back? And, you know, it's been two weeks for me. I still don't know. what I can't even walk on the thing yet. Um, I just want to get your perspective, Coach. How hard is it dealing with injuries? I mean, because every player has a different personality. Uh, it affects them differently mentally, obviously physically. Uh, and I just want to maybe you know touch on some of the stories that you've gone through and, and how hard it is for these players to come back and go through their class schedule and, and rehab and still get back there and get back on the field and contribute. Well, it's, it's difficult. Uh, the first thing uh, when an injury happens, the athlete, first of all, knows himself just about what extent the, the pain is and what the injury is. And, and he really can tell if he heard a pop or didn't hear a pop or he heard a, a crack or whatever it might be in an ankle or a knee or an arm or whatever. And the first thing an athlete an athlete knows through the number of years that he's played or she's played just what type of injury it is as far as should I get up, can I get up, can I walk on it? Shouldn't I walk on it? And a lot of times you see athletes get up and then sort of walk first, then limp, then sort of jog slowly off to the side of the field because they know the extent of the injury. When you see uh, an athlete can stay on his back or her stay on her back or sit, then that athlete already recognizes the severity of that of that injury because you you know, oh, this isn't a normal sprain, or okay, this isn't a normal pop, or or whatever it might be. So that's the first thing you see. You notice uh, uh, with an athlete, an athlete can determine exactly what type of pain or injury it is. You as a coach, you always hope for the best. Like you want to say, and we did say in the old days, get up, get up, it's not your heart. Get up. If it was your heart, it's different. Never get carried off the field, run off the field or walk off the field and then collapse or whatever, but don't ever be carried off the field. That was the pride of a team. And some of the old timers that are listening know exactly what I'm talking about. It's go put some... Yeah, rub some, some dirt on bomb, it, right? <laughs> yeah, rub some dirt on it or some bomb on it and you'll be ready to go. That that was the thinking. But today, there's so much advanced medicine and you, you're so concerned too, not that you weren't in the old days, of injuries and the extent of injuries and so on, especially neck and back injuries. Wow. You've got to really be very careful because a lot of players have played with broken backs or, or vertebrae broken or chipped or so on in the old days because there wasn't modern technology to, to know exactly what it was. Give him some diathermy. He'll be all right or she'll be all right or whatever. But today now with the MRIs and all of this uh, and the medicine and the advanced theories and surgery and scoping now which is available in the old days there wasn't any scoping you just they you go into surgery they'd open your knee out and clean the cartilage out or whatever they had to do close you back up and you were gone for the year in most cases now you're not gone for the year you might gone be gone for six weeks or four weeks or depending just how much is done so it, with modern medicine and, and all of the modern techniques that are out there you hope to get an athlete back as a coach 
the first thing you're thinking in your mind, first of all, you want to make sure that your player is okay or in, you know, and you know that he or she has the best medical treatment because you have the staff right there and doctors on the field. But in your mind, the first thing you're thinking about is what am I going to do? Who am I going to put where? Who's going to come in? How am I going to adjust to the injury of this player uh, to get through this game? First thing you th- your first thoughts are these to get through the game itself and, and win the game, obviously. And after that, the next thing you're worried about is to get the injury report, whether it's right immediately following the game or on Sunday morning or as soon as that individual has that MRI so you know exactly what the doctor's reports are, so you know when you can expect this player back, if this player is coming back at all. Now, so you have to make a determination on who's going to be moved where, who's going to play what, who's going to be your starter at that position, or what adjustments you have to make to get the best combination of players on the field or court or whatever. So that process goes through, and then you get the reports normally about Wednesday on the results of the test, and they tell you, uh, we're going to have to have surgery, or no, it's not torn, we're going to rehab it uh, probably two weeks, or, or maybe on Friday, and uh, or, or whatever. We'll test it during the week, and maybe it's just a bruise or a strain, we'll be able to treat it. So, you know, you, you go along with the injury, and then if they tell you this person is injured and out for the year, then, of course, you make that adjustment. And the next thing you think is how many games this player played in, can we get a redshirt year on this player? If he hasn't played in more than a couple of games, you do get a redshirt player, a redshirt year. Or if it's a, an entire year and this, this player has had many injuries and so on, then you apply for the sixth year if he doesn't have a, or the fifth year if he doesn't have a redshirt year left. So there's a lot of things to it, and there's a lot of rehab, and there's a lot of thinking and, and adjusting. And then, of course, one thing you always have to do, and I've always remembered this as a coach, I was once a player, and I know when I was injured and I injured my knee and I was at a Pac-10 school, I won't say what school that was, I was never visited in the hospital at one time by a coach or a coaching staff member. Uh, I'll wow. never forget that. So the first thing I always have done is I made sure every single day a member of the coaching staff visited that person as long as that person was in the hospital or getting rehabbed, or we made phone calls all the time. As a head coach, I always went, no matter who it was. Wow. Man, and I'm sorry to hear that, Coach. That, and I'll never forget, you learn by experiences that, you know, if you're willing to sell out for a school or a coach or so on, and that coach gives you this indication right then, does he care or doesn't he care? Are you a piece of meat or are you a human being? So, you know, I think you always show the parents of that young person how concerned you are with the safety and the health and the rehab of this individual athlete. And if you don't show that, it's very difficult for that player to want to play for you. Because that player lays in bed all day thinking about what's going on and where he or she would be at that time. And if you don't hear from your position coach or your coaches or your cheerleaders don't come by or something, there becomes a doubt in your mind. Wow. Uh, man, I'm sorry I had to go through that, Coach. And uh, well, I, I, It makes a lot of sense, and I'm, I'm sure I, you know, we'd have to talk to the staff, but I'm sure if we talk to any of the guys that are injured, that uh, if they're out laid up in bed for a while, that you know their teammates and coaches and stuff do come by. I mean, I've heard of that before, but I'm sure we could talk to some of the other guys that have went through that stuff. But I, I guess one of the big benefits over 
just people that are out in the regular world. I mean, these players don't have HMOs and stuff. I mean, they have a full staff. I mean, they're, the good thing is they're going to be seen by specialists, doctors right away, uh, you know, because time of is of it. They want to figure out what's going on. You know, they're not going to have to uh, wait for an appointment or things like that. I mean, they, they're, they're, they have access to all this stuff. They have access to MRI equipment and doctors and specialists and stuff like that, Coach. So it, it does make it a little bit easier, I guess, as far as that goes. Oh, it does. In fact, in the NFL, you've got x-ray machines and NBA right in the locker room. Yeah. <laughs> right in the locker room. So immediately you know whether to put a player back in the game or tape that ankle or uh, or not. Um, so, you know, all of those things are determined immediately. Because really, when you're paying a player as much money as that player is being paid, you certainly don't want to destroy or hurt that player in any way. Not that, you know, it's not all money, but you've got a valuable person here and you got to make sure that that person receives the best of medical attention and you're not going to put that player back in the game if that player says oh i feel all right i'm okay i'm ready to go well some cases you can but if a doctor feels you should have an x-ray on that or something they'll do it right in the locker room now coach one of our mutual friends uh brandon hancock um you know we both know really well and um I, I, i'm wondering how much you've seen this happen before but you know he had to basically retire you know with his knee um, he had injured his knee a bunch of times and essentially it was, there, there was, I don't know if it was ligaments or whatever. It was, there was uh, like cartilage and stuff missing in there. And it was a lot of bone on bone action in his knee. And it just wasn't, it wasn't going to be as stable. He could still get around and everything and do everything fine because his, his body was so developed and he had, you know, muscles built up there that kind of held it together on their own, but there wasn't the necessary, I think it was, I think it was ligaments or something like, yeah, I should, we can ask him and uh, maybe we'll have him on again and talk about, it. but is there a lot of times coach you've seen like, you know, really high level athletes that are well-developed. It's almost like you could mask the injuries sometimes just because their body is so, you know, highly tuned and, and in shape. Well, well, you can, because those people can, you know, it's a, it's a pain barrier. You know, a lot of players are hurt and they won't even tell you because they want to play. Each individual person has, a limit on pain. You know, some players I've had have played with a broken bone in their hand or broken arm, and you don't even know it because they just, oh, just tape it up, coach. It's okay. Just bruise a little bit. But they love the game so much they don't want to let you down, plus they want to play. So it depends on the individual athlete on just how much what that pain variance is. On Brandon Hancock, when you talk about Brandon, I can't remember exactly, but he's had during his playing career at USC, I believe, six or eight surgeries. Wow. I mean, he has had a lot of surgeries. And he was the one that determined not to go in the NFL, but to go on and get his MBA and go into what he's currently doing in broadcasting and everything else. And, you know, he is an excellent student and so on. And he said he just wanted to be able to walk when he was 50 years old, not be beat up where he started his knees started to you know need replacements and he arthritis and everything else that goes along with it so he he decided himself that yes i might get a year or two in the nfl but why take a chance i can get into the business world which he's been very successful in doing and make that decision now a lot of kids don't have that opportunity a lot of kids uh you know don't have their mba and only have one b plus in their entire college career and that's what he had i don't know if you know that or not yeah, he had he's like had a three a, nine something GPA or something like that. Yeah, right? he's had A in every single college class except for one. 
So, I mean, a lot of kids, you know, don't have that type of opportunity and contacts and personalities and looks and all of the things that Brandon has. So they're forced to probably play uh, and to make a, a good living. And when they do that, of course, they jeopardize their legs and arms and necks and backs and so on for the future. And, and you know, a lot of people don't realize this. Sometimes if you take a look at some players who have played when they're 50 years old or 55, 60 years old, some can't hardly walk or they limp or they've had both hip replacements along with knee replacements and shoulder repairs and all of these things. But the game is so big and so fast today that it's like a car accident every play. Oh. It really is. You see the speed that these players run and how big they are when they hit each other. My goodness, now to say that doesn't take an effect on your body, please. Don't tell me that because it, it does. So, you know, you've got to be able to use your judgment on when it's time to hang it up and when you can continue. And and I hate to see the old days uh, come back, and they, they haven't. But, you know, players in the old days were injected before game and played and played and played and played. And now a lot of those players are paying for it. But times have changed, and I think it's for the good. Yeah, and then we didn't even get into concussions and stuff, Coach. Unfortunately, we're out of time, and we can address that some other in a different podcast. But injuries are right. you know, just – it made me think of it getting injured myself and how – you don't really think about what's really going on with these players and how much they have to go through to come back and all the pain they're going through. But I appreciate your insights on that, Coach. It's, uh, it's fascinating to see what – you know, from the coach's point of view, what goes on there. All right. I'll tell you, and, and you remember one thing. When a player is injured, there isn't anybody who bleeds internally more than a coach. No one. He knows that player. He knows what that player's been through. He knows the parents or the parents of these players. He knows all their dedication. And you stand over that player and you bleed internally with that player. You have the same pain that player's enduring in a different way. You really do. And for all of our listeners who's missed my dog, Cece, <laughs> today she has She's made back. a return. Yeah. So I want everybody to know, yes, she is back. All right. Well, Coach, thanks again for your time. Hopefully you're not bleeding internally over me and my injury. I'll, I'll bounce back. No worries, Coach, okay? Well, I got, I got a lot of confidence in you. Okay. <laughs> I really do. I got a lot of confidence. You're the type who will show up on game day, okay? Yes, I definitely will. But thank you, and thanks to our sponsor for the segment, Southern California Tickets. We'll be back after this short break. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and we are joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weike. What's going on, Dan? I'm excited to try out this new software, Ryan, via Skype. 
We are Skyping. We are Skype to Skype right now. And if, if you haven't used it, it's like a free phone service basically over the internet. And uh, Dan and I are both working on it right now. And so far, so good. I think it's I think it's coming out okay. It's a little better than your cell phone at times, you know? Yeah, my cell phone's a piece of garbage. Right? <laughs> All right. Um, so <laughs> we got some questions. So I just want to kind of talk about uh, these questions a little bit people have for the team. There's not much going on with the team right now. They're going to start their official workouts again on June 8th. So May is kind of, I mean, I, I guess you'd say this, Dan, right? May is probably the slowest team month of the year. When, you know, After graduation, before they start their summer workouts, there's not a lot going on. Yeah, no, it's it's slow. Um, I mean, it's kind of akin to sort of what happens after <clears throat> the January bowl game till the start of February is kind of like, you know, where everybody kind of decompresses and gets ready to to get into that final. I, well, not really final, but that first push. I mean, for this for the season. So yeah, I mean, it's been slow. I've enjoyed it. It's been yes. nice and relaxing. <laughs> but we've got a lot of stuff up on uscfootball.com. Just like uh, you know, there's a lot of recruiting stuff. We're doing a lot of profiles on the incoming freshmen and doing different features and stuff. And of course, we do the podcast every week. There's always something to talk about year round with USC football. Yeah, that's, that's one of the good things about it, you know. I mean, if it was like rice football, I don't know if there'd be much to, much to be talking about right now. Probably not so much. All right, um, so we have another question. Uh, thanks again to uh, Jeff in Reno. Um, he sent in like four audio questions. We'll do a couple of them next week as well. And if you want to send in questions, obviously podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. You know, record a little question, send it off to us just like Jeff did. And uh, here you go, Dan. Here's the uh, next question from Jeff. Here's a simple summertime discussion starter for the old parrot style podcast. Um, I'm wondering just what is your all time most memorable USC football moment? All right. Yeah. Well, so the, uh, he's a, he was at work, so it's a little, you know, it's a little soft, but, uh, I would say it sounds like he smuggled like a cell phone into like a Turkish prison or something like that. And he's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, but yeah, he wanted to know your all time favorite USC football moment. Okay. Well, I have a couple. Um, you know, obviously USC football is still relatively new to me. Um, I think the Ray Maluga interception against Ohio State is something that I won't forget for a long time. I mean, as far as hype and everything like that and just seeing maybe the most colorful player on the field make such a big play, that was really cool. Um, but if, we, if we're going to go back, I guess, a little bit in the vault, I would say it would have been the you know USC-Notre Dame in South Bend, the Bush push. Um, was It was a game when I think I first realized – that Pete Carroll's teams just don't seem to lose big games and that something is always going to work out for, for the Trojans, you know. I mean, whether it's finding Dwayne Jarrett, I think that was fourth down, right, Ryan? Yeah, fourth and nine. Yeah, I mean, and I'm just like, just I mean, just a great ball. Um, and then, you know, obviously, you know, the, the liner sneak with um, with Reggie Bush kind of pushing the way um i mean just just an amazing game um something that i remember i was in college i was watching the game at a bar at actually a, a an eastern illinois journalism function and um while professors and stuff were talking to me probably about my grades and stuff like that i was like hey uh, can you keep it down for a second i'm trying to pay attention to this. <laughs> you know this isn't this isn't your time this is my time right now so just uh, i'll get back to you in a little bit after the game so that'd be mine i'd be curious to hear yours yeah i mean my college career i mentioned in the last segment started in 89 when i came to usc from the east coast i mean i had followed him a little bit but nothing as closely and most of the early memories weren't that great i mean uh probably the the most the one that stands out the most is uh illinois your home state um illinois came to uh usc and uh it was 
you know, uh, Todd Marinovich, a quarterback, and Larry Smith was really conservative in the game plan and didn't want to put too much on that redshirt freshman, the, the kid that was, you know, the robo QB that was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And USC was up 13 to nothing and just kind of like he reined it in and didn't let him do much more. And Jeff George brought uh, the Illini back and threw this like 50 yard bomb that was tipped halfway through and then. You know, somehow miraculously landed in the receiver's hands, you know, 20 yards downfield, and they went on to win 14 to 13. So that was my first of many, like, bad experiences as a USC student and fan, uh, going through, um, that stuff. But, you know, that, that, you know, they won the Rose Bowl, and Ricky Irvin's had a really big game in 1990, and, uh, both, they sent both Shembleckler out, um, on a bad note, and there was a, they did a fake punt, which he would never do, and they got a holding call, and it came back, and then USC ended up winning, and so that was, that was pretty cool. Like that, some of the early memories, and you know, back in uh, I would think it was '96 when USC broke the the losing streak to Notre Dame, that was pretty special. And Marcusano batted that ball down, um, so there were some special moments then. But I think the biggest ones are more of the recent ones. I think that rose the Orange Bowl against Oklahoma when they just absolutely throttled them. I mean, that was pretty special. Yeah. And you know, in the the Rose Bowl against Michigan when they won their first title in in uh, 03, I guess it was, and uh, that Mike Williams throwback to uh, Matt Leinart was was pretty cool. So there there's you know there's a lot of good ones. I mean, most of the early ones I had unfortunately weren't that good, but you know the last seven years there's been so many it's hard to it's hard to even categorize them. Yeah, I mean, I remember some of the um, <clears throat> you know when I was younger, I remember some of the you know. The Rodney Pete, um, I believe Tony Rice USC Notre Dame games. Yeah, there was there was a one versus two, I think, in '88, and uh, at, the, at the Coliseum. I think it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was at the Coliseum. That was a year I, before I, I got there. Year before I got to USC. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I was a young buck back then, but um, I do have memories of that. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that uh, Todd Murnovich, Jeff George quarterback battle. I mean, that was something that I'm sure probably at that time. I mean, you're looking at. Well, these two guys are going to be future Hall of Famers, right? And stuff like that. It's just amazing, just how much can change, you know, over the course of a college career. I mean, Jeff George ended up having a nice NFL career, but right. never really lived up to the potential that he had either. No, no. I mean, he had the big arm. I mean, Marinovich obviously imploded, but you know, George. You know, George at least was making it in the NFL for a while, and you know, he's had that big arm and the uh, the attitude problems, but. You know, it was, yeah. it was, was interesting. That was definitely an interesting game going back there. And, uh, but you, you know, the 88 one, that was great. I mean, it was, uh, Notre Dame won that one. It was, I think it was number one versus number two. And, um, a lot of, a lot of good stuff back then. Yeah. So that was so, a good question. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, we can reminisce. I'm sure there's a lot more. I mean, there's so many stories of, you know, back in the day, you know, Anthony Davis or Marcus Al. I mean, there's so many good stories back then, but just the ones that, you know, we were, kind of alive and paying attention for i guess that's what we were going over all right so um we have some text questions as well not text messages we could do those too i don't know i don't know if we, maybe we'll give out your cell phone number dan we'll help yeah, people I, was text say. <laughs> yeah <this> is, <laughs> I don't know about that uh okay this is from uh td he wanted to know about um what you think the next couple of years will hold for alan bradford who's kind of a fan favorite and He's really tore things up in practice a lot of times, and you know he'll he'll be coming back from injury. But he said uh, uh, if he's healthy next year, it appears he might still have a hard time getting onto the field, being behind Stephon Johnson, C.J. Gable, Joe McKnight, and you know you didn't even mention Curtis McNeil or or Mark Tyler. Um, you know we wanted to know about what do you think is going to happen with him, and and what are his chances 
if he plays or if he doesn't play in the NFL draft. Okay, so here's kind of how I see. I mean, I think 2010 is is the big Allen Bradford year. Um, I mean, you're looking at the USC running backs. There's a chance. Now, I don't want to get all sky is falling on everybody, but there's a chance that after 2009, obviously, Stephon Johnson will be gone. C.J. Gable could be gone. I mean, he flirted with the NFL draft this year. Um, and Joe McKnight, who probably some people think would be drafted before either of those guys, also could be gone all after this season, which would open up, you know, kind of a, a dearth for and a yearning for an experienced running back, and that would be Bradford. I mean, he'd be a senior. <clears throat> um, you know, by then you would think that the recovery from the hip surgery should be 100%. I mean, he should be good you know, now actually, but I mean, even, you know, more time, it'll just be even stronger. Um, I really like Allen. I, 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 I mean, he's a fun player to watch in practice. I mean, that's like kind of the thing on him is that people go to practices. And I think this is why he's such a fan favorite in a lot of ways is, you know, people go to practices and they see that, you know, once a day he'll break off a player that makes everybody go, Oh my gosh, you know, like he's big, he's strong and he's fast. I mean, what's not to like, um, I do think that he, needs to become more disciplined on offense where with pass blocking and stuff like that and, and running the right routes. I think that that was part of the reason why he maybe didn't play as much. Um, but, I mean, I think he'll be in the rotation this year. I, I have a feeling that, you know, he'll get some carries just because he's different than everybody else they have. I mean, he's their kind of their prototypical big back right now. And, and I do think that he runs tough and can pick up tough yardage. I think they'll, he'll get a look early especially against San Jose State. And I think if he does well there, maybe he gets a look against Ohio State, gets a few carries, and then we'll see kind of how it builds like that. And I, I think he's in the mix to maybe get six or seven carries, hopefully, again. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could happen. Uh, you know, 2010 does seem like a really good year. I mean, you got a lot of good freshmen coming in in that class, and they're you know, it's still not done. Who you know, So there could be potential true freshman competition, of course, but, you know, that's always – Difficult. We'll see if guys come in early, but uh, you know he does have that unique style, and I, I think some of the coaches do want to see a little bit more of using some of that power, you know, to, mm-hmm. to his benefit. So you don't, you know, you don't go down quite as easy. You know, if you're that big and strong and powerful, you should be breaking a few more tackles than I think he was breaking. I mean, he would break big runs, but it wasn't necessarily because he broke a whole bunch of tackles. And I think they'd like to see him do that a little bit more when he does get into some trouble. Yeah, I mean, that brings up an interesting point because that was kind of the problem with Broderick Green, too. Um, a part of me wonders is when you've got guys like Gable and McKnight and, you know, Curtis McNeil now, too, these kind of shifty guys who make these just kind of like highlight real plays in practice. I wonder if these other backs, like the big, and, and we can put Stefan Johnson in there because Stefan is, is elusive, too. Um, I wonder if, you know, these bigger backs see that, especially a guy like Bradford who's capable. Too and and is like you know okay maybe this is how I want to catch their attention is I want to be that kind of back you know I remember Roger Green you know talking to me earlier um, last summer saying that you know he think he felt like he could do some of the same stuff that Joe McKnight did and I remember thinking to myself well why would you want to you weigh like two hundred and fifty pounds just run people over you know I mean yeah. and that's I think there's somewhat of a reluctance when everybody else around you is doing these spectacular things by making these great cuts and maybe going back upfield and, and, you know, turning around and going against the grain and doing all this crazy stuff. I think that sometimes these bigger backs are hesitant to just kind of lower the heads and, and, you know, 
and knock people over. I think there's some hesitance to do that. Yeah, it's it's harder to do in practice sometimes as well. You know, we we would have to judge if guys would. You know, defenders kind of back off a little bit depending on unless it's a scrimmage situation where you're tackling guys to the ground. A lot of times it's more just kind of make initial hit and go away. That, it's probably a little harder to practice that too. But I, yeah, that's a good point. You you would want to see you want to see those guys do you know lower their heads a little bit and put a shoulder into somebody and come out on the other end with the defender on the ground and their legs still moving. Yeah. I mean, another guy, too, that we didn't even mention as far as carries are concerned this year is Stanley Havili, who I think is going to be a big part of the offense, too. Oh, he's my boy. So uh, we'll see. They, they ran the fullback a little bit more this spring, so we'll have to see what... Uh, it's like success, too. It yeah. looked good. Coach Morton and, and Coach Bates, see what they're going to do with that. But they, they could mix in. There's a lot of people that can run with the ball, so... It'll be interesting to see. Thanks, TD, for the question. Um, there's kind of a follow-up here. You, uh, there's a bunch of stories. We've done a lot of stories on the incoming freshmen. Um, I put one up this week kind of on the overall defensive line. But you've profiled individual freshmen, and when you talk to them, a lot of times they tell you what number they're going to wear. So I think uh, the coaches have, you know, players make requests, and the coaches have talked about this, but there's no, like, kind of official list, and they wanted to know if we could publish something like that. But just, I, I guess you let people know there's not really a list out there yet. Yeah, no, I mean, we're just kind of getting it as we talk to guys and stuff like that. And we'll just kind of throw it out there as we get it. Um, you know, guys, I think, you know, like you said, put in requests, but it's, it's hard to tell, you know, two guys might want the same number. It's, it's just hard to figure out who's going to get what at this point. Um, that list, I think usually comes available right around the start of fall camp. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think I, it's, it's probably leaked a little bit before then, but yeah, there's. Uh, I mean, we can, we'll we'll find out as much as we can. We'll keep talking to people when when the freshmen arrive in the middle of June or late June. You know, we'll do interviews and stuff with them as much as we can, as much as they let us, and uh, we'll you know we'll we'll sniff out as many numbers as we as we possibly can get. But yeah, usually you don't see like official list for quite a while. Yeah, no. So all right, I mean, we'll we'll try. We will definitely try to do that. Um, all right, here's the last question. This is from David. So he was curious uh, about your assessment of corpse arm strength. Uh, is it adequate, better than that, and how does it compare to Sanchez, Mustaine, and Matt Barkley? Okay, um, worse than Barkley's by a lot. Um, mo- but that's not because Corp is doesn't have a strong arm. That's because Barkley has a monster arm. Um, Worse than Sanchez, not not as strong as Sanchez's arm. I always thought Sanchez had a pretty strong arm. Um, I think, though, from what I've seen, his arm is probably not that far behind Mustaine as far as, as far as just sheer arm strength. I mean, we saw him go down the field a little bit. Um, he's good. He throws like a really good intermediate ball um, where, you know, like that kind of 10 to 12-yard ball, I think he throws it really tight. Um, it's got good pop on it, and, and it gets there. Um it's not – I mean, he's not going to – you know, if you take him to the carnival, he's not going to win you a big teddy bear because he throws like 95 <laughs> miles an hour or anything like that. But, you know, he'll put it in the strike zone. I mean, that's kind of like – I guess just the kind of player he is is that he's more of a just kind of get it done kind of guy than whether maybe looking super pretty. Um, but I, I think it's a good arm. It's good enough to win. I know that. I mean, he wouldn't be the number one quarterback right now if the coaches didn't think that it was good enough to win. No, it's a good point, and I, I, it, he is a, a gamer. You know, we've talked about this before. And well, if, he has if, that reputation, Ryan. I mean, like, I think we need to see him 
game. Oh, we didn't see him at this level. But if you yeah. just if you lined up him and Barkley and had him throw some fly pattern, you know, forty five yards down the field, I don't think there's a question that Barkley's a look better. But he has a knack of being able to complete that pass on the run that doesn't maybe look as pretty, but he gets it down there and he gets it into the receiver's hands and lets him make a play. So I, I, you know, if, if this was talking, we're going to put these guys in the NFL combine, you're not going to say he has the, you know, high potential that a, that a Matt Barkley does. But, you know, like you said, he can win. He can make those throws. Might not be as pretty as some of the other guys, but, you know, he can complete those passes. So I think, I think USC fans are going to be pleasantly surprised if he ends up winning out because it's going to be a fun, uh, it'll be a fun fall to see what happens between all those guys. Yeah, and this is a little a little pure style podcast teaser for something that I was actually kind of working on, is that um, you know it's been fun to watch kind of Corp grow a little bit here this past uh, this past year. I mean, I remember when I first talked to him when he was the third string quarterback last summer, and he was sheepish and quiet and just seemed to like kind of like you know not really want the attention or anything like that. It wasn't very loud with the other players and stuff like that. Kind of took a back seat. Whereas now, I mean, the people we've talked to is he's developed into just a fantastic leader. I think guys respect that, like that kind of laid back, chilled out personality. But at the same time, you know, they know that if they need to be told what to do, like he's more than willing to do it. And it's been fun to watch Aaron Corp kind of grow that way and become this leader that, you know, it wasn't. And then the kind of the neat part about it, too, is that I don't think it was forced. It was never like. You know, okay, I've got to be a leader now, so now I'm going to start acting like a leader. It was just kind of he was just embraced, and, and there are aspects of his personality that are just that just people are drawn to, and it's really it's really been fun to watch. It is, and he has you, you said grown. He's definitely grown, not as a leader, not only as a leader, but I think as a as a quarterback as well. Just in his patent, like his arm strength looks better than it did, you know, two years ago, and it looks like he's not one of those guys that was really good in high school and had reached his potential. He looks like he's kind of, he steadily got better since he's, you know, smaller and just got better and better and better. And Mm -hmm. the more he's grown. So I think he's gotten better every, every time they've had a worry, every summer, spring, fall, whatever, he's got better and he keeps doing that. So we'll have to see how much better he can get. I mean, I I think he'll continue to grow as he gets some more experience with starts and stuff. And I think, uh, I I think we're going to see him get better and better throughout his college career. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays with the Barkley thing because because uh, how well Matt played you know this spring and stuff like that and, and how close it was between those two and really how they're not that far apart eligibility wise you know what I mean so it'll be interesting to see who I guess can grow the most the fastest I, I guess that's kind of the competition really right now is who can who can get to their top potential the quickest between those two guys and. Should be fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think Corp's best chance is to come out like gangbusters and win. And then it's going to be that much harder. No matter how good Barkley looks, it's going to be yes. tougher if Corp comes out and, you know, smokes Ohio State, you know, in the horseshoe. Uh, it's going to be hard to like, well, Barkley looks so good, but man, Corp's winning. So it's going to, you know, if he gets to a slow start, then that the high ceiling of a Matt Barkley or even a Mitch Mustaine could come in and take over. So, yeah, that'll be... Uh, It'll be fun. We're gonna the summer workouts will definitely be good. I think now that they have a pecking order established, we're gonna have to see what happens uh, yeah. between those guys throwing the football around and see how the receivers react to all of them and, and how they're doing. Yeah, and seeing how just how focused they keep everybody because you know that's one of those things in summer workouts like guys can get a little goofy. So it'll be fun to see just kind of like how 
I mean, you don't want you don't want them tight or anything like that, but you do want to keep guys like on track, and, and it'll it'll be fun to see how those guys do do kind of like locking those guys down and making sure they stay to work. All righty. Well, Dan, thanks very much for uh, answering those questions. Thanks to all you out there for sending them. And remember, podcast at uscfootball.com. If you have any questions on the team, on recruiting, whatever, if you, what do you want to talk about, we got lots of time. We'll talk about whatever you want. And there's always stuff we can talk about with UFC football. <laughs> but thanks, Dan, for joining us. And thanks for, uh, yeah, I think the Skype sounds good. Let us know. Email us, podcast, uscfootball.com, if uh, you like or don't like this. So hopefully it sounds pretty good out there. Yeah, I like it. I, I mean, you sound clear to me, so that's yeah. good. So I think it's still better than cell phone. You know, having you in studio is always great, but then you have to be in my house, and there's all kinds of issues with that. So, <laughs> No, not the distance driving, just I don't really want him in my house. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, like you got to lock your food up and stuff like that, make sure there isn't any beer around or anything like that. And You're right. Got to hide the Wii controllers and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, no, no, Dan, I appreciate Dan, it. You're sweet. You're a sweet guy. He's been very helpful, though, out there. Just, you know, now that I've been uh, on crutches for the last two weeks, Dan's come over a few times and helped out. So I do appreciate that. Oh, well, thanks. Sure. All right. Well, everyone else, we're going to have a short break. We'll come back with Gerard Martinez. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, our final segment. We're going to talk some recruiting with Gerard Martinez. How's it going, to, going today, Gerard? It's going great. I hear that uh, you, you seem very excited. Uh, I know that the ankle has you down. You're a little bit on the sidelines, but uh, we got to get you back out there, man. We yeah, yeah. We haven't missed the podcast, so that's good. But uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a little rough hobbling around <laughs> on crutches. Got to rub some dirt on it. You got to rub, rub some dirt, some dirt on, on it. Yeah, there. we talked about that earlier in the podcast. All right, so got a few questions, and we figured we'll uh, ask you since you're the authority on USC recruiting around here. Um, first one's kind of interesting. This is from Brian. He wanted to know if you feel that USC misses Ed Orgeron. His recruiting prowess, as far as being, you know, he's with Tennessee now. Does USC miss his recruiting prowess around the program? It's tough to say they do with the way they've been continuing to recruit since he left. Um, I mean, they continue to have top five recruiting classes year in and year out. Um, Ed Erdogan's a, a very unique personality, though, and he's a great recruiter. And I know if, you know, you combine him with the staff they have, um, I think it's certainly a positive. Um, but, that's, you know, do they miss him? Is he a guy that that they need still? Not really. I think Ken Norton has definitely stepped up as being a guy that's an assistant coach that can kind of close the deal, that can do things on his own with his own personality uh, to really gather and gain the attention from recruits. And that's kind of more of what you get from an assistant coach in that, you know, in that manner. We're talking about USC, so they're going to get their, you know, a lot of the amount of four-star, five-star guys. 
there's only that extra one or two guys floating around out there that might be on the fence towards the end of signing day, and you want to bring in an assistant coach on an in-home visit and really close the deal, really sit down with the family and just have that salesmanship to say, hey, listen, this is where you want to be. And Ojo Ojoan was definitely one of those kind of guys, and I think that um, you know Ken Norton's kind of one of those guys right now. So uh, do they really miss him? Not really. Could they use him? Of course they could use him, and I think Tennessee has shown you know past year or so that they've got a guy there that being their recruiting coordinator has already made a big impact uh, with their program and, and kind of showing what he can do and why he was recruiter of the year uh, so many years ago when he was with the USC. I think it'd be a bigger deal if like Pete Carroll wasn't the head coach and you lose an Ed Orgeron because he's such a huge part of the whole recruiting, you know, the team there. But Pete Carroll is the closer. He's the main guy. Uh, you know, you could put Pete Carroll on a bunch of stiffs and he still would recruit pretty well. But having a guy like Orgeron, you know, in, in Pete Carroll's stable was just I mean, that was a really tough matchup for anybody to go against any coaches across the country. But, you know, everyone, Pete Carroll's the guy at the top. I don't know, I'm sure you agree, but he's the guy that kind of makes everything go. But having a guy like Ed Orgeron at his side really was a powerful tool. It was, it was. But like I said, I think that uh, Ken Norton has definitely stepped up in that regard. And, you know, Jethro Franklin, you got to say, the, his first time out when he went in and, and closed with Devon Kennard, uh, in that situation, shows that he's a pretty good recruiter, too. So, you know, they're going to continue to work. And like you said, Pete Carroll, he definitely leads the way, and he sets an example, and he himself is a really good recruiter. So that I don't know if it's ever going to be something that uh, USC fans have to worry about. That's a really good point, too. And we talked a lot about Jethro Franklin second time through, you know, second time through the program after spending some time in the NFL really seemed to get it and, and found a way to motivate these guys and change that defensive line from – what could you know really should have been a liability to one of the strengths of the team. He also came in, stepped up into the plate right away, and did the did a really number on recruiting. And you know Devon Kennard was a guy that was very close to Coach Holt. It was a big deal that Coach Holt wasn't there, and Jethro Franklin made that all go away and brought him in. He's you know you could argue was the best player in, in this class coming in besides Matt Barkley. No, definitely it's it's the situation you know the circumstances surrounding that. Um, you know, he comes in and, and Coach Holt was, you know, literally they were having their in-home visit that day when Coach Holt decided to announce that he was going to Washington. And like I said, I think at that time, I don't know if everybody was clear that he was going to Washington. I think there were quite a few people uh, in the USC football program that thought he was coming back. And uh, Pete Carroll and Brennan Carroll were there at the doorstep at Devon Kennard's house, and they were Nick Holtless. And Nick Holt had been his regional, had been uh, Devon Kennard's regional recruiter, had been Devon Kennard's, you know, future defensive coordinator, and was his position coach. So he was threefold for Devon Kennard. So there was three facets uh, that Kennard looked at that were involved with Coach Holt, and that's. That's that's really tough. All of a sudden, that's been taken right from underneath you, and you've got less than a month here to decide. And signing day, and you've got Texas just banging on your door, you know, telling you everything you need to to, to hear. And Brian Arakapo, hey, look at his first round draft pick, man. You can come in for him. And Jethro Franklin was able to, you know, I think keep things the way they were post uh, or pre uh, Nick Holt leaving. You know, I think USC had that lead. I think he was ready to commit to USC and holding that, you know, ship steady was basically what needed to be done. And, and he did it and he closed the deal. And that was, uh, it's, it was tough. I mean, it was a tough situation. I talked to him about it and I've talked to Devon about it. And uh, I don't think people really realize that that, that could have gone the other way really easily. Oh, yeah. That would have been pretty tough on USC fans if losing, 
some of the guys they lost to lose Kennard at the top of that class, man, that would be tough. But yeah, you know, and Submarine at Orgeron, great recruiter, awesome coach. I think USC's got some great recruiters and awesome coaches as well besides him. So, um, all right. Thank you for the question, Brian. John had a question for you. He wanted you to come. This is kind of interesting. Compare uh, Jesse Scroggins, who's a, a 2010 quarterback prospect, with James Boyd, who's a 2009 uh, signee for USC, who played quarterback and defensive end in high school. But he wanted you to compare those two guys as high school quarterbacks and college recruits. Wow. Well, it's, it's interesting. That's, huh? that's a pretty good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good question. Um, you know, Boyd as a quarterback was pretty prolific uh, in terms of stats. I mean, he passed for you know almost 4,500 yards, 44 touchdowns, uh, had that crazy game against modern day where he had like 70 pass attempts or something like that. Um, but being a big guy, 6'5", you know, 215, 220 pounds, really had the more of the look of a, of a real post-style type quarterback, but was less that. He was a little more athletic. Um, I think the big thing about Boyd is that, you know, his – top position his most coveted position is defensive end because he plays that even better um that's really where his athleticism where you really start to see his size and his speed come together scroggins is not a big guy scroggins is six two ish maybe six three um and he's about 190 95 pounds he's not that big towering kind of kid and really is not a runner i mean people would think oh yeah he's probably athletic because he's not you know the biggest guy in the world but that's not really his game he's mobile he can get outside the pocket um he can get away from you know the pass rush but not necessarily a guy who's going to run all over the place i wouldn't even compare him to aaron corp in that way i think aaron corp is probably a little more of a scrambler than even jesse scroggins is uh but scroggins is extremely accurate I think that's just the thing that you have to put in front of everything else when you talk about him. He's got a really good touch of the ball, and he's really accurate. And you could almost, and, and a lot of guys want to get away from this, it's almost like calling a wide receiver a possession receiver. You know, those those wide receivers, they uh, they cringe at that, that word, that label. And that quarterbacks tend to cringe at the, the label, you know, system quarterback. But Scroggins is a little more of a system quarterback. Um, you know, Boyd could kind of throw the ball up and just do some crazy things. But consistently, he wasn't necessarily a guy you look at and go, oh, yeah, you know, that guy's going to be a quarterback. You know, fundamentally, he did, there's a lot of things that James Boyd didn't necessarily have. Uh, where Scroggins is, is really fundamentally sound. He's a guy that sees the defense very well. Um, he seems to always make sure that he has good timing with his receivers uh, and just ends up being very accurate and very efficient. Um, now, I, he doesn't have the hugest arm in the world. He's got a pretty good arm, and, and when he passes it deep, he definitely puts it right on the money. Again, coming back to that accuracy thing. So that's really the, the big difference is that, you know, Scroggins is maybe a little more of a system quarterback, maybe a little bit more of a guy that's not going to play outside himself and, and do crazy things and, and maybe make the huge highlight play, but at the same time he's consistent and he's not going to make any really bad plays for you, where James Boyd was a little more risk-reward type guy. All right. Possession receiver usually means what, Gerard? Slow, right? Well, possession receiver <laughs> always means like the guy who, you know, he can catch the underneath stuff and, and he's he's got good hands, but he's not necessarily really fast or he's not necessarily a playmaker, quote unquote. So the receivers, you know, every receiver fancies himself as being a guy that can get vertical and, and I'm just as fast as anybody. And I, but, you know, the, that's not true. <laughs> right. Not every receiver is the same. And some receivers are just guys that, you know, that, that work underneath well and run really good routes and catch 70 balls. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I guess some guys just take it the wrong way. Steve Smith, for all intents and purposes, would be labeled as a possession receiver. You know, th- those guys 
who can catch the ball consistently, who have some toughness and, and run those short routes, those tend to be the guys that are possession receivers. You can hear to talk about possession tight ends, uh, you know, the guys that are not really vertical threats um, that can just catch the ball underneath. And, you know, still, you get 40 balls as a tight end and you're a possession tight end, that's fine. Hey, you're still, you know, a really big contributor to the team. But everybody wants to be Vernon Davis, that physical freak who wins yeah. 4-3-6 at the NFL Combine, and, and that's the guy you wouldn't necessarily slap that possession uh, label on. Smith ran a really good time at the uh, Combine, didn't he? I thought he had a really good 40 he, time. He ran, he ran to, to, yeah, a time that I don't even know if he could ever run again in his life. Like right. I, I, what he, like a 4-3-something? It was sub-4-4, four, four, yeah. It was shocking. Yeah, we did, very shocking. I mean, <laughs> everybody heard that time who's watched Steve Smith throughout the, his high school football career, let alone his college football career, couldn't believe that time. So, um, but, you know, but now, but now, you know, what he does with, uh, with the Giants, he's, he's really more of a little bit of a possession receiver for him. You know, he does work the underneath, and it goes across the middle. And, and, you know, being a possession receiver means that you're physical, too, and you can get that ball across the middle. A lot of wide receivers don't want to do that. A lot of wide receivers do want to say, hey, I'm a speed guy. I need to get vertical. Because, you know what, when you're vertical, you stay away from those big, bad linebackers. Yeah. You know, another – I'm talking – this. sorry, we're a little off topic here, but I was talking to Bryce Butler a couple months ago, and I think I brought up the word smooth. Some of his players, his uh, teammates had called him smooth. And he didn't like that either. I'm like, what's wrong with that? He's like, oh, that means I'm slow too. So I guess unless you're calling, <laughs> unless you're calling the guy fast, receivers don't like to be called anything exactly. else but fast. Exactly. The connotation <laughs> of a guy just not being the fastest guy out there. Yeah. Always, you know, receivers have big egos. Receivers might have bigger egos than even quarterbacks. It's kind of funny. It's crazy. Well, they're not, you know, they're yeah. Well, we can go a whole thing. We'll do have to do a whole show on receivers. We'll get a couple on and talk about it and stuff. It's pretty funny. All right, uh, last one. You know, the the class of 2009 is signed. Only Barkley's, you know, actually in school. They won't arrive until next month sometime. And, you know, USC's, you know, diligently working on the class of 2010. Kevin wants to know about the class of 2011. So this is a little bit out in the future. Um, You know, you always get early commits uh, in, you know, 2011. I'm sure there'll be some early commitments and stuff there, too. Uh, Who are some of the prospects that USC is interested in, and, and two of the guys he mentioned specifically, maybe we can just comment on those, uh, DeAnthony Thomas and uh, George Farmer. Uh, Farmer actually got to meet uh, one of the high school games. He's the teammate of Robert Woods, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct, the receiver from 2011? Right, yeah, Sarah, yeah, Sarah High School. Uh, Sarah High School, the uh, high school with the crowded wide receiver court. Uh, you got Robert Woods, <laughs> you got George Farmer the third. And now you got Paul Richardson, who actually transferred in from Los Alamitos. So uh, don't ask me uh, how they're going to get the ball to all those guys, but uh, they're going to try. And I guess it's a good problem to have. But uh, George Farmer, uh, definitely a guy who's interested in USC, definitely a guy USC's interested in. He came out to the skills camp uh, last summer and was really, really impressive, uh, been really impressive. I mean, he's actually might be a little more athletic uh, than Robert Woods, in fact. I think Robert has more intangibles and, and a little bit more um, of those kind of awareness, instinctual things that you want you know, to see in a football player. He can pretty much make a play on any side of the ball, special teams included. He, he just finds a way to make plays, whereas George Farmer is definitely a little more of a receiver, um, a little bigger, actually, than Robert Woods height-wise, and probably by the time he graduates will be bigger, more physical. He's in that 6'2 range right now, probably 186 to 190, um, but definitely one of the top receivers in the country, for 2011, he'll be uh, one of the top receivers 
in California. Don't know if he's going to be the top guy. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Anton Arnold from uh, Temecula that's also going to be way up there. He's about 6'3", 180 pounds, um, just a, a really fast player. I think the comparisons that have come up with us are maybe uh, Terrence Tolliver from a few years ago. He ended up signing with LSU. He was from uh, Texas. And uh, kind of similar build, um, just, you know, a really dynamic-looking player. He's played some quarterback and been one of those scrambling-type quarterbacks, so you get to see, you know, his speed and his moves. Um, he's going to be a guy that a lot of people got to look at. Uh, D'Anthony Thomas, who was mentioned, uh, you know, Jeremy Crabtree actually just put out uh, an article about him uh, recently talking about him being maybe one of the best players in the entire country for 2011. He's a running back. He's about uh, 5'11", 6'0". He's real slight. He's about 170 pounds, maybe soaking wet. He might not even be that big. Um, I haven't seen him play in person for a while. I, I don't think I got to Crenshaw and got to see him play last year. Or if I got to see Crenshaw, he wasn't playing. Uh, he, he's a running back right now extremely fast just he's a tr just a, a blazing track type guy um up and down the field uh the question is you know can he be physical enough to play um uh running back and not physical in terms of you know is he tough enough because a kid actually as a defensive back plays wood like crazy he really blows people up especially you know watching the past couple of years when he was <laughs> a classman at like 150 pounds and he's just killing people and so he's tough enough it's just a matter of can he be durable enough to actually play running back um, maybe in a USC system where you can rotate guys that might actually be a good thing for him and you're starting to see that more and more with some of these guys that are kind of slot type uh, receiver uh, running backs and these offenses that are starting to evolve out of the high school level a guy like you know Percy Harvin who you know when you saw him play in high school he was doing everything he got to Florida he ended up being kind of a slot running back they kind of picked their spots with him and Joe McKnight kind of the same thing with USC he's not necessarily a 20 carry a guy game so um, or a uh, game a guy uh so he's got to probably maybe fit into that mold and be a guy that just kind of comes in and maybe you pepper him in with the passing game out of the offensive backfield and then give him some you know give him some carries out of the backfield as well uh but but you know it's interesting to see a national guy like jeremy crabtree come out you know and and, and see a kid like uh d'anthony thomas uh who we all love his nickname we've been talking about his nickname since he was a freshman the black mamba i just <laughs> you know, we arrived. We were just—I yeah, don't know what—I don't know when it was. It was—it was sometime his freshman year, and Rick Kimbrell and I went down to, to Crenshaw, and we were just hanging out, and uh, somebody was talking about the Black Mamba, and we were like, "What in the world is, is this about?" Like, you know, just those weird city names that just come up every year, and we just laugh and just talking about the Black Mamba, and we we checked him out, and there was this kid, this skinny little kid that was on freshman. Uh, or excuse me, he was on junior varsity as a freshman and just running past people. Just he just was running past people. That was basically the whole game. I think it was against Taft or somebody, and he just kept, he just kept doing the quick pitch to him and just ran outside. And uh, so we kind of watched him grow from there. But it sounds like he's getting some some national pub. But um, there, you know, there's a few guys out there that you're going to look at that 2011 class. I think the receiver position is definitely very strong. Victor Blackwell is another kid that comes to mind out of modern day, who's about you know, 6'1", 185 pounds. Not the the speed guy. Again, you would slap. You know, we talked about it early that possession receiver. Um, you know, uh, label on Victor Blackwell. He's not the the big time. You know, stretch the field type guy. But 
playing as a sophomore, you know, starting for modern day and being really the only playmaker on that offense with Matt Barkley last year, you got to look at him and say, that's, that's a guy that could be an SC level guy. Definitely. Uh, he's going to have some competition again from this class. It's a deep class at receiver. Um, and, and we'll kind of see how that works out. But you know, the, the, the big uglies, I think we, we got to kind of search again for that. We haven't seen a ton of guys coming out um, early. I know, you know, in San Diego, they're going to have a couple of big time defensive tackles uh, that come out. San Diego should be probably, I think it's going to be another year um, that, we're going to have to watch. It's going to look like it's got some good talent. So, um, you know, overall, it's it's still very early, and, and who's to say, you know, who's looking at USC seriously and, and what guys, you know, USC really has a shot at. I think it's a little too early to get into that too much. But we'll see some guys pop up at the camps this summer, and I think that'll be a better gauge as to, you know, who's legit talent and, you know, who really is interested in USC because that tends to be where the coaches make a big impact with these kids early on. All right, 2011 talk already. We're just we're going after it, but there's everyone's always interested in recruiting. It's so funny how people get interested in it, and uh, there's so much going on, a lot of drama, a lot of soap opera stuff, a lot of personalities out there, coaches, rivalries, all kinds of good stuff. That's why we like talking recruiting. Definitely, yeah. I, I, well, I, it's it's just you know second nature to me. So yeah. <laughs> sweet. All right, Gerard. Well, thanks very much for uh, answering all those questions, and uh, we appreciate your time. No problem. I appreciate uh, being here and, and talking. We didn't. I'm a little bummed. I'm a little bummed though because we didn't get any international questions this week. What we, happened? Oh, we didn't. We did have some audio questions. They were uh, team questions though. They weren't. Um, uh, yeah, but what? Yeah, more international questions. All you people out there, we've had from a couple uh, different. Venice, co- England. <laughs> let's come on. Let's get out in the Eastern Europe. I want to hear it, man. Yeah. I want to get some. You know, I want to get. I want one of these days. I want to hear. We have a question from. Uh, uh, from Nikolai from the Kremlin, and he asked, uh, you know, who's the top quarterback in the 2013 class? Right. Okay. <laughs> so any any of our uh, Russian friends, you know, how about uh, how about um, like Asia, someplace like China or Japan, something like that? Yeah. The only thing is, that I don't know how big football is there. Um, football is actually pretty big in Japan, though. I know Pat Rule went over a couple years back and actually coached in a Japanese uh, football, semi-professional, professional football league, and uh, actually has a lot of friends over there, and that was kind of an interesting thing. So, that, I mean, Japan, actually, football's got to be pretty big if they've got their own, you know, league going. Yeah, send in your questions. I mean, we, I think there'd be a lot of, uh, you know, foreign students that come to USC, they become fans, and they go back home. So, hopefully, you know, people like that are listening. That's usually when we get emails from around the nation, I mean, around the world, it's usually guys like that that, were from, say, China, came to USC, moved back to China, but they were big football fans. They try to follow it over the Internet as they go. So any of those guys out there, feel free to send in your questions. Cool. All right, Gerard, thank you again. Thanks to our guests. And thank you all for sending in your questions. If you send any more, it's podcast at uscfootball.com. We will see you again next week. You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on parastylepodcast.com or search for Pear Style Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.